And I've always loved children. We wanted a place that you didn't have to drag your kids to, that your kids would drag you to. And to have him say that. You know, because there was, there was a couple of years ago where we had a soccer tournament. And all of our soccer games, even in tournaments, we'd played all day on Saturday and then come home. Well, there was a Tyler tournament. And, and in that tournament, for some reason, we had two games on Saturday and one on Sunday morning. And, and so he said, Dad, I don't want to miss church. Because we were going to let him. We said one time. One time's not a big deal. Your team needs you. He said, I don't want to miss church. And I thought, no way. That's awesome. And, and several people in his life told him what an awesome choice that was. And uh, this morning I was asking him if he was going to be up here because sometimes he helps with the children downstairs if they're short on workers. And I said, are you up here? Are you down there? He said, oh, we're up here. And he goes, is it going to be funny? I said, I'm sorry, baby. There's not a whole lot because he likes the videos and all that stuff. But Janie said to me, she goes, how many pastor's sons ask, is church going to be funny? Uh-huh, you get it because you've been there. Well, when we built the church, we wanted a place that you could bring your friends to and not be afraid that they were going to be beaten up with all of the, the these and the thous and the verilies and the big old honking family-sized Bible and, or um, confronted with things that just don't apply to everyday life. So we've tried to do that. And we've gotten better over four years. We're better now. And I will tell you the key to our being better today than we were four years ago are volunteers. Our volunteers understand the principles that I'm about to lay out before you. And um, you apply these principles in every area of life. You can. If you do it in your business area, wherever you work, you will become an invaluable employee. If you apply those principles here in the church, though, you will make an impact that lasts forever. Forever. Switch it over. We didn't switch over that. What movie was that from since you couldn't see it? There you go. That was my fault. I brought that to them at the last point. Every time I think of forever, that's what I think of forever. Okay, that didn't work. So we'll move on. Now, here are the principles. There are five principles that you can apply to every area of your life. Number one. It's a matter of time. Here it is. There is a cumulative value. Now, I'd, cumulative. Look up there. There's how you spell it. If you don't know how to spell it, look up there. Cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. All right. Now, we're going to go over these because these these you got to think about them. All right. Here it is again. There is cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. Cumulative means it adds up. All right, so let me give you some examples. This is why you exercise three times per week. Notice I said you, not me. That's why you exercise three times per week. When we were in California, Jeff was getting up early every morning to go get on the treadmill. And I was just like, so long, man, have fun. Now, he's doing it, you know, he's got several benefits in mind, not just the cardiovascular. He's in the dating scene and, and all that. So, um but the reason you do that is because if you invest your time in, in exercising over a period of time, you're going to see some results, hopefully. Um, it's why eating right over the course of several years will result in a healthy body. Uh, it's, it's the principle that you use in gardening. 
Right? You, you invest a little bit of time in gardening. If you do it every day, then, then at the end of the season, whenever it grows, you'll have a harvest. A little bit of time spent consistently over a long period of time produces good results. It's the idea of spending a little bit of time with your children every day consistently, or at least several times a week over a long period of time. It's the idea, guys, of spending time with your wife, meaningful time. Not the time when you're watching football and grunting when she, ans- when she asks you a question, you know. Baby, did you see this? Mm, whatever, you know, not that type of time. We're talking about good time, the, the time that she counts, not the time that you count. Number two, neglect has a cumulative value as well. First point is there's a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period. But the opposite of that is true. Neglect has a cumulative value as well. Ignore your health for 15 years. And what have you got? Problems. Ignore your diet for 15 years. I think it's about that long that I've done it. What have you got? Problems. Ignore your kids for 15 years. And what have you got? A jacked up relationship. Ignore your spouse or your finances and there will be problems. Anything you neglect grows. This is this would be the principle of the weeds, not the principle of weed, the principle of the weeds. All right. Just just to be sure, you know, that that we understand that the principle of the weeds is this. How hard do you have to work to grow weeds? You don't. I mean, I've got we have a flower bed garden thing that we didn't do anything with this year. And what do you think it looks like? It's skank, man. I just need to get in there with the biggest, baddest weed eater I can find and just mow it all down because it's nasty. There's there's critters living in our former garden because we didn't do anything. We just neglected it. And if you neglect your relationships, you'll have all kinds of weeds in your finances, in your relationships, in your health. Neglect adds up. There's a cumulative value. Number three, there are rarely any immediate consequences, immediate consequences for neglecting a single installment of time in any particular area. Rarely any immediate consequences. For example, if you're on a diet and you go off your diet Tomorrow, one meal. Do you see any immediate consequences from that? No, you don't. If you go, uh, if you sleep late tomorrow, instead of getting up and exercise, you miss your exercise one time. Do you see any immediate results from that? No, you don't. If you forget to pay one water bill, do they turn off your water? No, it's usually several or your electricity bill or whatever. If you miss church one time, do you wake up in hell? No, some some of you think you do, but believe me, that's not what the Bible describes. You know, here it's worse than here. If you miss church, if you if you miss celebrate recovery one week, does that mean that you have fallen off of recovery forever? If you miss uh, paying your tithe to the church one week or one month, is the church going to close its doors? Probably not, but it might. All right. So that's the principle of there's no immediate consequences for missing one thing. Number four, in the critical areas of life. This is big. You got to hear this in the critical areas of life. You cannot make up for lost time. You cannot make up for lost time. Now, we were thinking we we're sitting around thinking about this the other day on, in our Sunday planning team. We we're thinking about the things you could cram for, but things you couldn't. You can cram for a test, right? I mean, we do all the time. Doesn't, doesn't matter what test it is. We, we cram for that. But can you cram for your health? Can you cram for a relationship? Not well, not if you want to be successful at it. If you've neglected your health for 15 years, if you start doing a few sit-ups before you go get a physical, does that matter? You'll be sore from the physical, be going, ow. You know, and he's, what's the matter? Nothing. 
I remember as a kid, I never flossed my teeth. I never brushed my teeth either. It's amazing that my teeth remained in my head. And my sister used to always tell me really mean things, but she was probably speaking the truth because she'd tell me I had skank breath and I smelled like a dog and I acted like a dog, all those things. But she was probably right. And there was a, there was a, one of those car, uh, Sunday, Saturday morning cartoons, in between cartoons where there was this little guy called Yuck Mouth and he sang this whole song, You Can Be a Yuck Mouth and If You Don't Brush Your Teeth. I'm sure that was a description of me. Yuck Mouth. But when I had my dentist appointment, you know what I'd do? I would brush and brush and brush till my teeth and my gums are bleeding and I would floss. The only stinking time of the year I would floss and there's blood coming all out because I thought I was faking out my dentist. Do you think he believed it? And he would say, have you been flossing? And I would say, yes. I mean, I did one time. I was lying, but I did one time. He knew better. So you cannot cram for that. Neglect your kids for 12 years and you can't make up for it with a one week vacation like uh, like they did in the movie RV. You know, and everything's wonderful after one week of spending time in an RV. It just doesn't work that way. Neglect your spouse for a year and then take her for a weekend or, to put the spark back in. Guys, we got to figure this out. This is real important, men. It probably takes about twice as long to get something back to where it needs to be as you have neglected it. Let's say that you neglect your spouse for a year. One date isn't going to convince her that you've changed. Probably going to take about two years of consistent behavior before she says, wow, I've got a new husband. I mean, does that make sense? See, guys, we tend to economize in relationships. We're the economy type guys. We think that A plus B equals C. A is us. B is our wives. C is a hotel away from the kids. We think we got everything there. A plus B equals romance. And in our minds, we're thinking this is going to be perfect. But the ladies are going, dude, you want the icing. And I haven't seen the cake. There's no cake. You don't get any icing. And if we could figure that out, you can't make up for lost time, guys. Then we would start spending consistent time with our wives and with our kids. That makes a whole lot more sense. Now, a farmer can't cram for a great harvest, can they? Now, you've crammed for a telephone number, right? You go to the phone book and you do that and then you run to the phone real quick. Or if you have it in your hand, you dial it real quick. And if you don't have redial, what happens if the, if the phone's busy or they don't answer? You are messed up because you got that short-term memory thing going on. But you can't cram for a great life. That's the point of that. Now, number five. There is no cumulative value to the urgent things we allow to interfere with what's most important. There is no cumulative value. It does not add up the things we allow to interfere with what's most important. How many of you watched the Mavericks in the NBA Finals? Okay. I spent about 10 hours watching portions of those six games. What do you think I have to show for that? (laughs) What? 10 hours of lost time. Yeah. Wasted time. Yeah. Yeah. He would have taken it. Even if they had won the NBA championship, what would I have to show for my 10 hours of watching NBA basketball? Uh, Nothing. Now, we were talking about this again. And compare that with the, the two days I spent with my family in Houston. We went to an Astros game. We went to Galveston to the beach just uh, last weekend. We did this. Compare that to the 10 hours that I spent. What do I have to show for my, my time last weekend with my family? Oh, lifetime memories. That's exactly right. 
There's, we laugh about stuff. One of the things we like so much about New Mexico is we just built memory after memory, adventure after adventure. And that becomes the stuff that, that binds our hearts together. But if you add up all the junk that I've spent my life on in the last year, I've got no thing. Now, so let's, let's just take some of those things. Add up email. I just put a few things down here. Web surfing, eBay. Some of you are getting hooked on eBay. My sister's hooked on the Sam's auction. Man, every time I talk to her, what are you doing? Well, I'm on the Sam's auction. Everything we had in New Mexico, it seemed like she bought on the Sam's auction for 99 cents or a buck five or something like that. Because she's just into deals and she's obsessed with it. Take that and, and put it down in a pile. Watching TV, movies, playing video games or whatever. Put that in the pile. Shopping. Oh, no. This next one's going to get me in trouble. Scrapbooking. Ooh. Wasting time. Now, I'm not saying scrapbooking is a waste of time, but I know people that are obsessed with it to the point that they neglect their family. Hello? That doesn't make sense. Now, Janie comes and she does that and she comes home and she shows me all of the stuff and we talk about the memories we have. And I love the fact that she does that. But she's not obsessed with it either. So if we take all of those things and we pile them up, what have we got to show for it? No thing. Nothing. So we've got to be smarter with our time. That's what we're trying to get across today. Smarter with our time. Now, back to our question. Why would someone give up a couple of hours every week to be at a local church? I mean, you ask the average person on the street that, and they'll say, I have no idea why you'd want to waste your time at the church. There are people who Sunday after Sunday for four years, they've been here early and they've stayed late. They understand these five principles. Janie's not down teaching the children today because she has nothing better to do. Sandy has been keeping children as long as I have known her. I've known her for 11 years. Every one of my children has been in her class and she has loved on them. And they think Miss Sandy hung the moon because she loved them and she instilled stories in them. I used to when Caleb was was a, a baby. I would teach him to preach. I'd say, preach, Caleb. Nine months old, dude would stand up and he'd go, sinner. <laughs> and uh, he would shake his finger, man. He'd do the whole thing. And then I taught him, you know, the second half of that, sinner, repent. And he'd go, sinner, repent. You know, and he'd say that. Well, one day I come to pick him up from nursery and Sandy has taught him something new. She said, only as Sandy can do. She's got that real calm, soothing voice. She says, now, Doug. Because your son points his finger at me and calls me a sinner, I thought I would teach him something else. And I was like, oh, no, what did you teach him? And, and she goes, she goes, you'll just have to look. And so she goes, Caleb. And he goes, Holy Spirit. <laughs> she said, I thought I'd in inject a little bit of the Holy Spirit in his life. And, and you know, but. Then he forgot, like the next day he forgot, and then Holy Spirit became, oh, spit. And I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, sinner repent, oh, spit. You know, I think that all goes together somehow. Um, Danielle, Alex, Jeff, the band, parking lot greeters, security check-in for the kids, the kitchen folks, the pastor. We understand these principles, and we believe that there is cumulative value in investing small amounts in time of time in the local church because we believe the local church is the hope of the world. When Jesus left the earth, he said the church is it. 
There is no plan B for spreading my love, for spreading my kingdom, for getting people into my family. There is no other plan. It is all about the church. It's not a bunch of individuals. It's a collection of people that I've got in community and fellowship that are going to leave my fingerprints, the fingerprints of God all over the world. And it's why smart, successful, highly motivated people give up their time every week. 51 weekends out of the year. I say that because every year we take the last Sunday of the year off. Oh, and we've been crucified for that. How could you, you know, what are you going to do? Well, we want to give our volunteers one Sunday to say thank you because you've got to re-up for 51 more the next year. So on, on December 31st this year, I'm just warning you up front, we will not be here. We'll be spending time with our families. And, and you know, we think that that's okay, that God honors that because these people give 51 weekends out of the year and they work hard to make sure that things go well here at the church. Now, I could give my my time to other things. You know, I just believe that there's a cumulative value spiritually and eternally in investing time in the local church. I've been a minister for 23 years. I was a youth minister for 19 years and I've been a pastor for four years of this church. And we could have slept in on Sundays. But 23 years ago at a youth camp, I felt God saying to me, I want you to invest your life in the church. And it didn't make sense at that time. 23 years ago, I had no idea I'd be preaching. In fact, I said I would never preach. What do I have to show for all of those those years, Sunday after Sunday? A couple of weeks ago, we went to a conference in Waco and I run into one of my youth from uh, from Arlington. His name's Eric Herstrom. Eric's a minister. He's on staff in, in Arlington. And dude comes up to me. Big old guy. I mean, he's over six feet tall. Big old strapping young man. He comes up to me. Gives me this big bear hug. It's not the little handshake thing. Big bear hug. Doug, how you doing, man? Been looking for you. Great to see you. And I was telling Alex this story. And he goes, everywhere we go, you run around into somebody who was in your youth group back in the day. And it's true. It's crazy. I'll go to Wet n Wild or Hurricane Harbor, whatever it's called now. I'll run into somebody that was in my youth group years ago and it, it just triggers in my mind. It was worth it. But if you were to talk to other people about is it worth it, they would say yes. Janie and I gave up salary and status and security to start this church. Gave up insurance, all of those things because we believe that the local church done right is the hope of the world. Because all of y'all in your mind, you're thinking the local church done wrong is just driving people away from Christ. The local church done right draws people in and gives them practical application for their lives. It helps them heal from their broken past, their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. That's all that we're about here is trying to reach people. We see God moving today. And we bought into this idea that the same God who did incredible things in the lives of people in the Bible... I just am foolish enough to believe that same God is alive and powerful today and moving in hearts and lives. We see it almost on a weekly basis at Celebrate Recovery. Somebody new doesn't know us from Adam shows up and we in our in our open share groups, we'll go around and we'll just share what whatever the question is. And then somebody will just open up. I told a guy a few weeks ago, I'm like, dude, your first time, if you don't feel comfortable, just say pass. Nobody will judge you. It's OK. We go around. There's 11 men there. We go around and everybody shares. Get to this guy and he just takes the mask off and opens up. And I just sat there in awe going, God, you are incredible how you work in people's lives. And the guy's been here three weeks in a row. And each week he opens up more and more. And I'm just like, this is amazing, God. 
And I've got to confess to you that I'm an addict. I am addicted to life change. When I see that happen, it gets me up in the mornings. It gets me motivated to do more than, I, than, than I've done the day before because I want to see people's lives change. Jesus talked about an abundant life, and that's not just life in heaven. Heaven's going to be great, and I look forward to that, but I want my life right now to matter. And if you do too, then you'll have an opportunity to invest in the local church. Now, Jesus made the prediction that his church would not just last and struggle along. What he said to his followers, followers were, my church will prevail and the kingdom of hell will not prevail against it. So when he's talking to his disciples just shortly before his death, he says to them, he asks them this question. Who do people say that I am? Got all kinds of interesting answers, you know, all kinds of things. And then he, he kind of cuts to the chase and he says, who do you say that I am? Looking at his, at his 12 followers, who do you say that I am? That I am. And Peter, you know, big mouth Peter, he says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, I, I just picture him smiling a little bit thinking, good deal. And now look what Jesus says, what, what he replies to him. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, there's a lot of debate about this rock, you know, and, and was the rock that Jesus was talking about Peter and was Peter the first pope in Rome and all that. I don't believe that. I believe what Jesus was saying is the rock, the foundation of what I'm going to build my church on is this statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You got to understand a good Jewish boy was raised every day. And all they had back then was the Old Testament. Didn't have the New Testament because it's all about Jesus and his church that didn't exist back then when when these Jewish boys were boys. These Jewish men were boys. So a good Jewish boy was taught every day the scriptures. Every day he knew there was one God. And for a Jewish boy to stand up and say, you are the son of God. Everybody knew that he was equating Jesus with God. And you did not do that lightly if you were a good Jew. And every one of Jesus followers were good Jews. So this was a huge statement. And so Jesus says, upon this foundation, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is an interesting thing because no such thing as the church existed when Jesus made the statement. He's talking to his followers and he's like, I'm going to do something new, something that's never been done before, because church just meant assembly. That meant a bunch of people getting together. You could have church at the VFW, you know, or the Knights of Columbus or whatever. But what Jesus said, I'm going to do is I'm going to gather my followers in little communities, little fellowships all over the world. And the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. I go to a, a conference every now and then called the prevailing church, meaning a church that is stronger today than it was a year ago because Jesus made the prediction that it would happen. And, you know, his his followers, they had to be just kind of, you know, the head spinning because they'd never seen it before. They had nothing to compare it to. But we have the benefit of time. Here we are 2000 years later and we look back. Did Jesus prediction come true? <laughs> sure enough. Over 2,000 years, hundreds of thousands of believers have gathered together, whether in persecution, whether you know they could die for it, for their gatherings, or whether in freedom like we have, which we're losing some of our freedoms. That's another sermon. But they've been gathering together, and the church has not only survived, it has thrived for 2,000 years, just like Jesus said. 
Now, I hope that you will save money. I hope that you'll spend time with your spouse and your kids. I hope that you'll exercise and and that you'll eat right. I hope you'll do those things because it will expand your life a little bit. But even if you do all of those things, what is the one thing that's going to happen to you? You will die. That's exactly right. All of that stuff is going to end. Your only opportunity, my only opportunity to invest my life in something that lasts forever is the local church. There are only two things that Jesus said he was going to be doing right here. He told his followers, when I leave, I will build my church. That is a progressive thing. I will build my church until the end of time. He'll be building his church. We're told in Hebrews that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. That means prayer. So the two things that Jesus is involved in, only two things that occupy his time today, building his church and praying for his followers. If you want to be involved in things that last forever, then you've got to give your life to those types of things. Now, I want you to think about some of the folks that we have downstairs. Sandy is not babysitting in the nursery. She's investing the most important stories in the history of the world into the lives of little children. So that they will have that foundation when they grow older, they can fall back on that. My wife works with the next oldest group. Danielle Maldonado is in charge of the next oldest group. She's taught my kids. Danielle was in my youth group years ago. Alex was in my youth group years ago. Eleven years ago, Alex was a senior in high school. Computers weren't anything like what they do now. It was a couple of years into uh, our ministry that he started doing computer work for me. And, and he started doing all kinds of things. He helped start this church. And you know what else he does? Now he is the small group leader for young boys. My son is in his small group. You think that doesn't mean a lot to me? Because even though my son's 11 now, he's about to go into the teenage years. Something about the teenage years are kind of difficult, right? I welcome the fact that another man will have um, influence in his life. If there's ever a time he feels like he can't talk to me, he can go to this other man and have that voice Someone giving him rational, godly advice. I welcome that. What do I have to show for it? I mean, Wes was, was in college when I met him. Nathan was fifth or sixth grade when I saw him, our drummer, when I first met him. Jeff taught seventh grade boys. God love him and he's recovering from that. That's why he leads Celebrate Recovery now, because he taught seventh grade boys for years. But we have so much to, to look back on in our lives and, and to say, oh, my goodness, this this matters. Lives matter. If, um, relationships matter. In fact, I wanted to read you something. This uh, what was the date of this? February 12th, 2006. So seven or eight months ago, um, I get this email from Alex and I actually got it on, on Sunday morning, which I usually don't do. I'm usually not on the, the Internet on Sunday mornings, but I was checking on something and I saw that I had a message. So I, I opened this up and and it says. So I'm up burning the midnight oil, getting some video together for church. And I wanted to call you, but I figured you'd be asleep. I love recap videos, you know, meaning all the stuff that we do based on the four years we've been as a church. I love recap videos because I love to look over the footage I've, I've shot and see the church flash before my eyes. It's great because in like four years, I get to see us all over the map. And boy, have we done some insane stuff. But I can't think of another way I would want to spend the last four years. 
I just want you to know that we're doing it right. Not right because we we seem to be growing, but right because we have a core of people who are pouring everything they have into this church. You and Janie set the bar high and the rest of us try to keep up. Thanks for your ongoing commitment. And I know that in the next few months, there will be times that I stay up late or get up early to work on some video. But let me just tell you, there is no greater video that the video guy does than the ones he puts out for this church. And that goes for the diapers that get changed, the food that gets served and the toilets that get cleaned. You have to keep asking people to sell out to the kingdom, because if they sell out to anything else, they are selling themselves short. What we're doing today is we're asking you to sell out to the kingdom of God. Because every week, we uh, the average number of children we have downstairs grows almost every week. I remember when we averaged 12 kids. Last week we had 40-something. Week before that we had 49. 49 kids downstairs. That's awesome. I know churches that are much larger than us that evidently don't have prolific young couples like we do. They don't have near the number of children that we do. In, in fact, we got one in the hospital right now. Um, Amber Butler's having her baby right now. Just had a couple of twins uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jenny's here. I, I'm, I'm amazed that she's here, you know, after having twins, you know. I've seen birth and <laughs> I'd still be in the hospital. Um, but, but we have all kinds of children downstairs, but we don't want to stop. We believe any healthy organization, anything in God's creation that is healthy grows. And we believe a healthy church grows. So we intend to double in size over the next year. We can't do that with the number of volunteers that we have now. Sandy needs every week two to three volunteers. Um, my wife, Janie, needs two to three volunteers in the... What does she teach? Up to three-year-old. She te- the, if they're walking, toddling to three-year-old. Three years old, they're in uh, Janie's class. Three years to five years old, that's out, uh, Danielle's class. And then Jennifer teaches the, the older class. Danielle? Jennifer needs four or five. Jennifer's got the older class. And there are times that she is down there by herself. Now, Jennifer was in my youth group when I first came to Palestine. And I remember her coming into my office one day and, and she didn't. She didn't want to confront me, she, but she wanted to tell me something that was on her heart. And she's, she's almost crying. And I'm thinking, goodness, what in the world? And she said, you challenged us in youth group to take greater responsibility. But you don't trust us with that responsibility. I was like, wow, this is coming from a you know, 15-year-old girl. And I said, well, explain what you mean. She said, you give certain people responsibility, but you don't give others responsibility. And I said, what do you want to do? <laughs> That kind of started this trend of you come to me and you, you've got a burden on your heart. Do it. Well, Jen runs our older kids department downstairs and she's pouring value into my two daughters right now. You think that doesn't matter to me? And what we need are people to sign up. But here's what here's what we need to do. If you will look on your listening guides today, there is a, a actually a, a place for you to sign your name and to circle areas that you might be interested in serving in. But here's what we need you to do. Even if you circle an area of interest, an age group that you might be interested in, what we need for you to do is we need you to sign up with no expectations in mind because there are sometimes we have huge needs downstairs that have to be filled if we're going to be successful on a given Sunday. So, you know, it'd be like the idea of if 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 you think of our church as this big, you know, um, uh, water dike and there's a hole in the dike. 
And if you say, well, you know, I would rather stand over there, but the hole in the dike is right here. What we need you to do is come stick your finger right there in the hole in the dike and pray like crazy that God will give you an opportunity to move to an area that might suit your needs better. But we need you in a certain area. And the reason we did this whole thing is because we want you to know that we are sold out to the kingdom of God and we want you to come along with us. Because the more of you that do that, that get involved in serving, adding just a little bit of time in something that matters for all eternity, we grow and expand and our opportunity to reach more people grows with it. Does that make sense? Now, you become what you're committed to. We've said this from the beginning of the church. Tell me where you spend your time and where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what, type, what things you're committed to. And if you want to get committed to something that lasts forever, today is your opportunity. So I want you to take that and just fill that out and take it back here to the information table when we're done and, uh, and just leave it back there. And, and one of those folks will contact you. Now, this really isn't that difficult. If you can breathe and you can do this and put kids in the middle, you can serve. And guys, we really need men to serve. I don't know why it is. Maybe it's that the ladies are quicker than we are to catch on to these five principles. But we need men. You would not believe how children respond to men that are down there in those classes. I know a couple of weeks ago, um, Janie was telling me about she had a, a child who was wanting her daddy, wanting her daddy, wanting her daddy. So she, Janie went over and handed the little girl to Rick and she just piped down. She was perfectly content as long as a man was holding her. So we need men just as much as... Actually, we need twice as many men to sign up as we do men, uh, women. So I just want you to think about that. Think about applying your life to something that lasts beyond you. You were created by God for some things. One is a relationship with God. Two is a relationship with other people. And three, you were created by God to be an instrument to reach out to others with this great message that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we might become a part of the family of God. That's why you were created. And I think if we all were to look at our schedules and we were real honest, we would admit that we spent far more time doing other things than we have promoting the kingdom of God. I want you to pray with me.